This morning we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to start off with this story. Forgive my voice for breaking up, but we will I'll do my best to highlight an annual picnic one year. A company rented two racing shells and challenged a rival company to a race. The rival company accepted. On the day of the picnic, everyone entered the festivities in spirit. Women wore colorful summer dresses and big floppy hats, and men wore uh, straw skimmers and white pants, and, and uh, the bands played and banners waved, and and finally the race began, but to the dismay of the host company, the rival team immediately moved to the lead and uh, <clears throat> was never headed. They won by 11 links. The management of the host company was, was very embarrassed by the uh, outcome. So naturally he ordered a, a committee to be formed to, to find uh, place responsibility for this terrible failure and, and to come up with suggestions to do better next time. Well, the committee appointed several task force and for three months they studied the race to try and figure out what had gone wrong and how they could have lost so terribly. Finally, the report was submitted and it basically read that the rival crew had won unfairly. It said they had eight people rowing and one pilot steering and calling out the beat. Where we had one person rolling and, and seven people piloting and calling out the beat. The chairman of the board thanked the committee and, and sent it away to study the matter further and to make recommendations for the rematch. See, some folks just don't understand what it means to be on a team. When you're on a team, you work together. When you're on a team, you work towards a common goal. You help each other out. You support one another. And, and you're focused. And I have to admit, when, when I first got out of the military, one of my hardest adjustments to civilian life was just that. Because in the military, no matter where you were assigned, no matter what your job was, there was a common goal that everyone strived to meet. And everyone did their jobs to that end. As most of you know, it doesn't work quite that way in the civilian world. Most of us out here, it seems, are more out for our own goal, and we really don't mind what the other person's doing as long as they don't get in our way. And it was a hard adjustment for me. Well, our reading today in 2 Thessalonians that Paul is writing as he's winding down his letter to the Thessalonians, he is, he's writing here, and to me, what it sounds like, it's like a coach at halftime telling his team, to, to pep up and, and to go out and do what you're supposed to do and to work together. 
We're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to look at, at what Paul begins with. In, in, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The first two verses, Paul begins this with a request from the people. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. See, what Paul is telling the Thessalonians is, you're my support team. I need you. I can't do it alone. Because, you know, nowhere, no matter where you work or what you do, not everyone's on the front line. There's always support people. Could you imagine going to a, a basketball game and there's only five people to play the whole game and never a substitute? You're going to have some five wore out people at the end of the game. Or if you only have 11 people to play football on all teams, never off the field, you've got to have the support people. And in football, every time you see a timeout called in football, you see all these people that run out there don't have uniforms on, they're handing water bottles and towels. If it wasn't for them, support people. You've got to have them. They provide you with what is needed. In the military, the, the only a very small percentage of military people are actually on the front line. A much larger group is in the back, and they're the ones providing you with the support. They're making sure you have the equipment and the munitions and, and the weapons and the food and all that things that keeps you going. If it wasn't for them, the front line wouldn't last very long. Support. Paul is saying that you are my support people. And I love the way that, that he phrases that uh, second uh, that part there where he's, he's taking the people from the position of being prospects and he's making them participants in the ministry. You see what he says? He says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. In other words, you've, you've heard the message. You've accepted the message. You're no longer the people out there looking for truth. You have the truth. You've accepted the truth. Now you're part of the team and you have got to do your part for it to be successful. All of us who have trusted Christ are part of the team. And we are a... Our, God, our mission, regardless of what other gifts God has given you, regardless of what other ministries you may be involved in, all of us have a sole mission of prayer. Yes. We are to pray, and not just to pray for your pastor or for evangelists or for missionaries... Do you ever think about praying for your children who are in school? That they would have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Yes. And not only to share Him, but that the people who hear that testimony, it would land on fertile soil. Yes. Each and every one of us, our daily prayers should be that the Lord give us an opportunity to share Jesus in any situation, in any circumstance that we can share. 
all of us come in contact with a unique group of people that the others may never know even exist. And every time we come in contact with someone, we have an opportunity to share Jesus. And it doesn't have to be to pull your Bible out and tell them how they need to read this book, but it could be on how you handle day-to-day -day life situations. How you allow your faith in Christ to control you even when your world seems to be falling apart, you hold on to that hope in Christ. That testimony speaks louder than any words. We all have an opportunity each and every day. Paul says that we should pray for that opportunity. That we should pray for the boldness to speak out. And he says that we should pray that, that those who are around, that it would be well received. See, that's, that's our role as Christians. All too often as Christians, we think that our role is just I show up to church one day a week and I put some money in the offering plate, I'm doing my part. If that's all it was to being a Christian, boy, didn't Jesus waste a lot of time on that cross? See, being a Christian means our life changes. It means that we start reflecting Him from the heart out. <clears throat> We are part of that team. The second thing that Paul wants to tell his readers is he wants to give them reassurance. Verse 3, he says, But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me, Pastor, I just can't go out and talk to people about Jesus. It's just not my personality. I'm not that way. Or they'll say something like, like if I go out and talk and tell people about Jesus, they'll, they'll call me names or they don't want to be my friend anymore. Paul says, the Lord is faithful. That He will strengthen and protect you. You've got to hold on to that. Don't ever let Satan convince you that your words or your actions are meaningless if you're doing them for the Lord. Corey Ten Boom, she often spoke about her time in the, as in the uh, concentration camps in World War II. She said, I've heard a lot of people say how good God is. We pray that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when He sends good weather. But God was also good when He allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and I believe that God had forgotten us. No, Carrie, said Betsy. He has not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Corey concludes that there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God 
grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstances. Isn't that a beautiful quote? The Lord is faithful. No matter our circumstances, we can always be assured that He is with us. That He doesn't desert us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't take us to the edge of the storm and say, I'll meet you on the other side. He takes us to that storm and He walks with us through it. He brings us peace when there's no reason for peace. He gives us forgiveness when there's no reason for forgiveness. He walks with us. No matter how dark the valley is that you're in, He's right there at your side. He's holding your hand. And in a lot of cases, He picks you up and carries you through it. And who can forget the story of the POW, Jessica Lynch, when she was rescued from, uh, uh, by special forces soldiers and they came in calling out, we are American soldiers. To which she replied, I am a soldier also. No matter, no matter how you feel that the enemy has, has, has you entangled into something. No matter where you are in your life, God's promise is to be with you. And you too can call out and say, I am a soldier also. We are soldiers for Christ. And finally, as part of God's team, Paul gives us a reminder. In verses 4 and 5, it says, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Paul is, is saying that he's expressing his confidence but to me, it sounds like a coach at halftime encouraging his team to go out and, and do what they need to do to follow their responsibilities, to, to go forward and just do their best. Paul is telling his readers just that. We need to go from here and we need to do our absolute best in Christ. And he uses the word command. Command sounds kind of military. And it is because in the original text, it reads something more like this. I know you'll follow your orders. May you persevere like Jesus did. Hey, Jesus had orders to follow. The Father sent him to earth for one reason and one reason only. And that was to die for our sins. Jesus knew that from birth. That was his destiny. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, can you take this cup from me? He still went to the cross. We need to persevere like he did. 
that no matter what we're faced with, no matter how perilous it may seem, we stay true to God. There's people in the world today that are dying by the thousands for no other reason than they will not denounce Jesus Christ. They are living up to this scripture. They're persevering to the end. You see, they understand that, that this life is so temporary and that life is so eternal. And no matter what you go through in this life, your rewards are waiting in that one if your faith is in Jesus Christ. We all face those times. Times of trial, times of temptation. Now, if you were one of Paul's readers when he wrote this, just as we are his readers today, and you read these words, that we should follow our orders, the orders Jesus gave us, and we should persevere the way Jesus did. And if we look at our lives, how do we feel about that? Do you feel that your life is reflecting these words? Do you feel that, that your life is, is lived out for Jesus Christ and Him alone? I think a lot of people sitting in church when they hear words like this, that, that what they feel is a little bit ashamed because they see that their lives are not reflecting these words. Let me ask you another question. If you reacted to your boss's orders the way many of us react to God's orders, how many would still be employed? Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 71, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in an emergency situation could he change the play, and he had better be right. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, Pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Roger later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Now, I'll tell you, that story sounds a lot like my life with the Lord. Even though I know He's right, even though I, I trust every word that He says, there's pride that wants to stand up and say, I got a better way. I can do it different. And any time I follow that line of thinking, it only gets me in trouble. <laughs> we have to remember that it's when we are obedient to Him. It's only then that we have harmony and fulfillment 
and victory. So Paul is telling us, his readers, he's telling us that we are part of the support team for God. Our primary mission is to pray, and not just for people, but to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ be told, and when it is told, that it is well received. We're part of the team. You became part of that team the moment you said yes to him. It was kind of like, remember as kids, whenever you'd all line up and be picking teams, and when you got picked, you was all excited because you got picked, yes. and you weren't the last one picked. <laughs> We've been picked. We're on the team. And whether your job is to pray for those who are, who are out on the front line, or if God has put you on the front line, you need to do it with your whole heart because God is with you. Let's all stand. We'll be having communion after we close here. But I would remind you, I would remind you what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So I'd ask you as we close here, examine yourselves today. Examine yourselves against what we read in Thessalonians. Examine yourselves as your walk and your talk do they match up with the Lord? Father, as we examine our lives this morning, Lord, I know like many others in here today, Lord, I, I find areas in my life where, Lord, I'm not standing up to what you would want. Lord, I lift those things to you. Lord, I ask for, for strength, Lord. I ask for guidance in these areas of my life. Lord God, that you would... Lord, that you would show me your ways and you would guide me down your path. Lord, I know there's others here this morning that have the same, the same concerns, Lord God, and I lift them up with my prayer, Lord. Lord, I lift them up, Lord, that their hearts would be fully dedicated to you. Lord, that their focus would be fully on you. And Lord, that their... Lord, I pray that you give each person here, Lord, the opportunity to share the gospel. And Father God, I pray that whoever they share it with, Lord, that it will be well received. That lives will be changed, Lord. Father God, that the lost would be found. Oh, Father, prepare our hearts, Lord, as we prepare to have communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Communion is a time that we spend with our Lord.
and although it's celebrated with, with the bread and with the juice, the communion is with the heart. Our communion with God is in here. Allow this morning, allow the Lord to commune with you. Let's all stand, please. Paul writes, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he gave thanks. Father, we thank you for this bread, Lord, for it nourishes our body and our soul. He said, this is my body, which is for you. And to do this in remembrance of me. And they ate the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that last part. By proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, we are saying that we have hope that he's coming back for us, that we believe his word, that he's coming back for us. He didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us. He's coming back to get us and to take us home. Because yes. he said he has prepared a place for us. Yes. And he says, if I, if I hadn't have done it, I wouldn't have told you. Right. You have a place with the Lord. Let's come and partake of communion together. Let's all stand here. <laughs> Father God, I send these out today. Lord, with your blessings on them. Lord, I pray that you would touch them and use them today. Lord, I pray that you would bring the opportunities to them. And you'd give them the boldness to speak out for you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for that death on the cross. Lord, that you died for us so we wouldn't have to. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are coming back for us to take us home. Oh, we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.